With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Yes, let's get it done. It's Wednesday, the 21st of February, 2024, an action-packed week, if ever there was one, especially here on TNT. Uh, Myself and my good friend, Darren of Plymouth. Yes, Darren of Plymouth will be navigating the good ship, TNT, through the turbulent waters of life here this morning for the next hour anyway. TNT obviously is in situ in London at the minute uh, with a lot of people on the ground covering the Assange hearing that's due to conclude today. Sonia Poulton's there, Abby Roberts is there. Mike Grant, actually, the big cheese, the Le Grand Fromage, is there also uh, from TNT Towers uh, in uh, the Gold Coast. He's over in the UK also. Lembit Opic is there. We've got roving reporters all around the place. So please stay tuned for the rest of the day for coverage and what's going on in the Assange trial. Today, we've got a lot on. We've got Gemma coming on in a minute uh, to do an editorial. We also have Kristen James from 21st Century where and uh, Australia's, one of Australia's finest, Jason Auburn, and also one of TNT's finest as well. Uh, he will be joining us uh, towards the end of the show. Obviously, uh, the focus is on the Assange business today and probably for the rest of the week. Darren, very quickly, you put up a post uh, by a very eminent historian who died today, uh, David Irving, quite simply said this, and we're not going to discuss this, but it's an interesting comment that he came out with. He said, if all the dead Allied soldiers could see their countries now, they would have thrown down their weapons and fought with the Germans, which is a very powerful statement on reading it, just skimming across that sounds like a ridiculous, a ridiculous statement to make. But uh, the more you sit and think about it, when you think of the amount of men and women that were killed during the great wars and look at, look at Ukraine, even it doesn't just apply to Britain and allied countries. Look at Ukraine at the minute. What are they going to do, Darren, in five or 10 years when they look around and see their fathers and mothers and sons and daughters having been fed to uh, the Russian meat grinder and for what? And for what it makes you realize uh, the, the 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 futility of uh, why a lot of men and women, unfortunately, lost their lives. Yeah, uh, David Irving was a, a quite a famous British historian. He passed away yesterday, uh, I believe. He was somebody who pushed back against some of these more woke uh, and liberal narratives of our history. Uh, and he is right. Uh, I'm sure there are soldiers, there are uh, uh, people rolling in their graves who fought for this country, who landed on the shores of Normandy and went ahead with the D-Day landings to fight for things such as democracy, freedom of speech, uh, individual sovereignty, uh, all the, the crimes that were listed in the Nuremberg case uh, for medical reasons, you know, uh, experimentation on human beings. Uh, and here is our British government uh, flooding our country with people from overseas, uh, supporting wars in other countries that we have no, no, no beef, no skin in the game in those countries. And in particular, you mentioned the conflict between uh, Ukraine and Russia. It, it is quite well known. It's common knowledge to those that are paying attention that the uh, Ukrainian government is beholden to the far right 
or is it the far left? I don't know what the difference between those two extremities are, but it's almost certain that Zelensky, his government and his backers uh, have um, uh, Nazi ideology uh, weaving through their veins. And our government, the US government, Western governments in Europe uh, are supporting this regime. I am sure that my grandfather and his father are rolling in their graves to think what Britain has become. Yeah, indeed, indeed, very sobering stuff. Uh, but that's you know the nature of the beast. Uh, it, the more things change, my friend, the more they stay the same. This obviously rolls back over centuries of fighting and conflict across Europe and across the world. Uh, you know, when you think of the amount of lives that have been lost, and the, of, course, of course, the amount of money that has been made, not spent made uh, by the military industrial complex it's uh, quite disgusting along with uh, most of the things we cover unfortunately here on tnt it's disgusting business but it needs to be shown the light of day and we need to tell the truth about what's actually going on we're going to take a very brief pause we're going to welcome Gemma into the fray she's got a crash helmet on she's got her combat fatigues on metaphorically speaking so please brace yourself she's coming in like an exocet missile one and only Gemma cooper we'll be right back here on tnt Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Oh, Gemma, Gemma, uh, tell you what, uh, what a time to be alive. I know you've got a, a great story from from India, which is not somewhere that we cover very much. So it's very welcome to get something fresh from that part of the world when you think, you know, what, a seventh odd of the world's population actually lives there. Something that you might be interested in that I picked up just before we go there uh, from Ireland yesterday. As you know, uh, I'm no big fan of the Irish government or any Irish governmental ministers. I'm a fan of Gript. Uh, it's an Irish news publication and they are very much holding the government to account. Yesterday, crazy scenes. Uh, this is to Darren Ant, also to Gemma. Uh, unbelievable scenes, actually. The Taoiseach, which is uh, Leo Varadkar, the Prime Minister, the Tanishta, the Deputy Prime Minister, Mayhole Martin, and the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Nightmare Ryan, just walked out of a press conference when Ben Scallon from GRIP asked a question about misinformation. They waited until he started to speak and then they all closed their folders and fouled off the stage one by one as he was still speaking. The height of ignorance, the height of arrogance, or maybe they're, they're cracking under the pressure. Uh, Gemma, what do you think about that one? Let's take it as a win on hump day, shall we? Let's say they're cracking under the pressure and they don't want to enter into any dialogue with somebody intelligent, someone who's clearly, you know, got a following, someone who's putting stuff out there properly in a considered manner, in a journalistic manner. Sounds a bit like Assange, doesn't it? You know, they don't want to engage. Mm -hmm. They want to shut you up. They want to silence you, you know, and talk about, you know, wars and war crimes. You know, in just a few hours time, we'll be back at the Royal Courts of Justice. And that's exactly what Assange has been trying to do, expose the reasons why, you know, former military personnel would be turning in their graves and you know it's just the, the world is inverted isn't it but i would take that as a win on a wednesday let's let's have it they're scared they're scared uh, strangely enough, I, that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, you could see they were so uncomfortable when he started to ask the question. And everything, uh, there's a lot to do with nonverbal communication. If I was about to ask a question in a press conference, you would maybe hold your hands up and say, look, Rick, I'm sorry, but we've got to close this now. We're off. They let him start to speak, and then they slowly closed their folders and turned and all fouled off the stage one after the other rude but you could also see that they were flabbergasted they didn't want to face this guy because he's a thorn in their flesh and for the three of us and everybody else that is involved with tnt both in front of the camera and behind the cameras let us and all the people listening continue to be a massive 
born in the flesh of the establishment and the government. They hate us. They want to shut us down. They want to shut us up. But it ain't going to happen one way or the other. We shall and continue to tell the truth. But anyway, that's enough uh, for war. Rally cry for me this morning. We've got to talk about uh, India. More people standing up. Great to see uh, farmers protest in India. We don't hear much about that. It seems to be France and Germany and Wales and the UK. But India really getting in on the act too with this. Uh, what's happening over there, Gemma? Well, quite, uh, you know, we, we have seen these great swathes of farmers protests across Europe and even in the UK, which, you know, is rare for British farmers to take to the to the roads in their tractors. But they did do that a few weeks ago at Dover. Uh, but the Indian farmers, they're resuming a protest. They've been stymied at a border. Uh, they're, they're all heading towards Delhi from mainly the north of India, from the Punjab uh, and Haranya states. Um, but they want minimum prices. For their crops, pretty much echoing what farmers want across Europe uh, and in the UK. They want fairness from governments and state bodies and from corporations. But this one is with the this beef is with the Indian government. They're demanding assurance for minimum crop prices um, and say they're prepared to carry on marching towards the capital. They've got months of supplies. There's thousands of them. They've got uh, machinery. They say it's a peaceful protest. Uh, but last week uh, there were clashes with the police. They fired tear gas at the farmers, plastic bullets at the farmers, and they've barricaded Delhi with barbed wire concrete, bricks, and hundreds, if not thousands, of, of military troops. Now, the reason the government is running scared is two reasons. Uh, one, there's a general election in a month's time. And two, there was a protest, a farmer's protest, back in 2020. It was huge. It was huge. And they did win, but it took them a year. And at that point, they were protesting against agricultural reforms. They camped out outside of Delhi, the farmers, thousands of them, many of them died, um, and, but they won. They did win and the government were forced to back down and, and look at its agricultural reform policy. The farmers in this instance are saying, look, we, we will sit down with you. There have been four rounds of talks between the government and the farmers in the last week, uh, but they cannot reach a deal. Uh, yes, Yesterday, the farmers rejected a five-year deal for certain crops. They, the government said, okay, we'll give you a minimum payment on certain crops. And they said, no, not just five crops. We want us, we want minimum payments on all 23 crops that we grow. So because they can't uh, reach a negotiation, they're going to carry on protesting. And the government, they really don't like it. But the farmers, they really aren't going to stop. They, they say it's uh, peaceful. So on Singh Pandir, he's their spokesman. They just said, look, we've tried our best. We've sat around the table. We've attended meetings. We've discussed every issue. Please, please, can we come to a resolution? The government is saying no. Uh, so the farmers are saying, okay. And today they're moving down towards the capital. They're 125 miles away at the moment and they're advancing as we speak. So again, in lockstep with other farmers around the world, you know, just treat us fairly. We produce the food, give us a fair price, let us make a living. You would think, Rick, what is so difficult about that? But no, governments worldwide want to clamp down on our farmers. Darren, uh, this is obviously something you cover a lot uh, on your <clears throat> Twitter page or X page at Waltzned uh, on that particular platform. And uh, a mantra that you've very much adopted uh, recently is revolution is the only solution. We are seeing masses of people taking uh, to the highways and byways now in protest against government regulations when it comes to farmers. India. Uh, Darren, uh, you know, you're pushing circa a billion people, uh, about a seventh and eighth of the world's population lives there, very heavily dependent on the, the food that they grow there. India's not a particularly affluent country, many people living in abject poverty. That particularly applies no farmers, no food to India. If this doesn't go the farmers' way and if they do get throttled and they do start to go out of business, we could literally see death, you know, Famine deaths if the crops do fail or if the farmers go out of business or get taken over. Some shenanigans happens there. 
very much a life or death thing out there in India in particular. Would you say so, Dan? It's not a continent or a country, and it is effectively, you know, a vast majority of Asia. Um, it is a continent that has suffered from famines and food deprivation and farmers, you know, issues with the land in the past. Uh, I was listening to, to Gemma's commentary then, uh, and I, I was thinking about what happened in Sri Lanka, which isn't actually that far away from India. No. The government wanted to bring in a load of new food and farming regulations. They wanted them to, to farm organically etc and what happened uh, the country went bankrupt uh, its economy went put and everybody started starving and had to start importing food when they were originally self-sufficient from places like India and China. What happens if India goes the same way? It has a vastly larger population and therefore the impact on, on those that rely on farmers is going to be uh, far, far greater. Will the government there back down? I don't know. But one more thing, and I think this is important. We see in these farmers' protests right across Europe, we're starting to see them in UK. Uh, UK farmers are slowly starting to, to come out of their slumber and protest uh, the UK government. Could this feed into the, the food agenda that we tie in with 2030? Could these protests, regardless if they are organic or inorganic, feed into things like food shortages that would allow the establishment to use that as a lever to gain control over the population? Uh, things to think about uh, with regards to these Indian protests and farmer protests across the, uh, across the world. Indeed. Well, great input uh, from yourself there, Gem, and also uh, great to hear your views on this one too. Darren, if you're listening in in the live chat, which you know very many people are at the minute, leave us your thoughts and opinions on this. Uh, is it a good thing that India are effectively weighing in on the back of this, albeit in their own neck of the woods, but still it contributes to the overall war effort when it comes to the war of globalism that the farmers are very much at the vanguard of at the minute. So many thanks to you, Gem, for uh, bringing us that uh, story. You and I will talk again in the next hour. And in the meantime, please stay tuned. We have Christian James incoming right now uh, to give us his thoughts on the developments in uh, London over the last 24 hours here, live and exclusive on TNT Today's News Talk. TNT's David Curtin. The noise about this is not out of any genuine concern for Navalny himself or his family, but this has been weaponized in order to bash Putin. And it seems that the media, the mainstream media and the politicians in the West, the powers that be, have got what I would call Putin derangement syndrome, which follows on after Brexit derangement syndrome and Trump derangement syndrome. Something is happening in the world that they don't like, they can't control, they've lost control of the narrative, they've lost control of what they want to happen. And what they want to do by this, by bashing Putin in the mainstream media, is to prolong this terrible war in Ukraine. David Curtin on today's News Talk. TNT, a better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Will Julian Assange be extradited back to the USA? Covering his two-day public hearing at the UK High Court and live from London, this is today's News Talk. 
TNT. Yes, uh, with people on the ground in London, we're going to be broadcasting probably from around about 9 a.m. onwards, uh, live from the Justice Courts over in London with uh, Sonia Poulton and also with David Curtin and also with Abby Roberts and Lembadopic and many other people there. So please stay tuned to TNT throughout the day for live updates on what's happening right now. We'll have Christian James joining us. Uh, Christian is a content creator and a researcher and uh, does a lot of work with our good friend and colleague Patrick Henningsen over at 21st Century Wire. Christian, thank you very much for joining us again this morning. How are you doing? Oh, really good. Thank you. It's uh, good to join you once again on this quite early morning for me normally. So it's uh, it's it's good mm. to be here though. Yeah, this is called the Red Eye Show, uh, and you're, you're probably going to find out why. If you look at yourself in the mirror, whenever this is over, you'll find it looks like you've been out <laughs> on the tower all night, even though you probably <laughs> haven't. I know I do, even though I'm a teetotaler. But Darren's looking pretty damn good for this time of the morning, I must admit. He looks like he's been up and about and had a full day's work done. Uh, or Darren, he gets to bed early, you see. Uh, he's a smart guy, unlike me. But we're not here to talk about our bedtime habits, uh, the Assange business. Uh, we're entering into day two of this today, Christian, a very critical day here today. Yesterday, there was a lot of uh, shenanigans and skullduggery with uh, some of the uh, the points that were brought up against Assange and also very compelling points were made for the reason why he should not be extradited. What's your take on the development so far, particularly with what happened yesterday? You know, in all fairness, I mean, Julian Assange, uh, for many people, of course, is, is a hero to many. He is, uh, thanks to his documentation that he provided uh, for the people back in 2007, when he demonstrated that there was, uh, through the publications of WikiLeaks, that there was essentially shenanigans going on with the US government and their um, what their actions were as they were committing crimes, potentially war crimes, uh, indeed against uh, Reuters journalists. And uh, his um, demonstrations, his publications demonstrated that to be the case. Uh, and the US really have... Um, frustrated they've still got egg in their face from there and we still believe that they have uh, revenge on their minds um, we know that Julian Assange basically faces 17 cases of um, spying effectively and uh, he has uh, I see hacking is, is, is part of that that was his uh, that was his thing back in the day I mean he, this is what he is he's doing it from a humanitarian point of view that he believes this information was to be to the public for the public good and uh, and many people do believe that is the case. Unfortunately, we now find ourselves here. Um, he went through seven years at the Ecuadorian embassy. He's been five years now in HMP Broadmarsh prison. He's finding himself now uh, what effectively is the last leg of Will Britain basically extradite him. There was a case um, a while ago where Priti Patel was like, no, we're not going to extradite him at all. Um, his health is obviously in a condition, and we know that the US are going to use this as a demonstration um, against someone who is basically an individual who's done the right thing. Um, the US basically wants to put this man behind bars for 175 years. If we were to add up all those charges together, um, there has been statements to say that it won't be that long. Uh, it may only just be 63 months. Um, but however, the US will certainly make an example out of this because of that egg on their face. Um, I didn't see all the details of what came out of yesterday. Uh, maybe you can fill me in on what some of those things were. But uh, this is uh, this basically is the crux day. This is day two, although it may actually now be extended from what I understand. It may go out to another day. And uh, we're not quite sure how it's going to play out. Um, there is obviously the political situation. Um, you can only imagine what's going on between Whitehall and the White House. Um, obviously, Australia is obviously weighing in quite heavily. They are now putting pressure on the UK government. So, you know, we sh you should send him 
to Australia, really, to see out his sentence if, if there is anything to come here. So the eyes of the world are watching. Um, we're not quite sure how this is going to take. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what TNT has and the people on the ground here on, on, on station, really, at the High Court in London. I'm going to have to say about this, but it, it's, a, it's a case that every journalist in the world, everyone who has uh, freedom on mind, it should be watching. Uh, as far as the yesterday went, uh, he was, uh, Julian Assange was given uh, leave from uh, HMP Belmarsh to go and attend the trial. He didn't attend the trial because of ill health. So he wasn't actually there despite being given <coughs> granted leave uh, permission by the government to actually go and attend his own trial, which was very decent of them. Uh, Stella Assange is making it very, very clear that if uh, this uh, case goes against them. Uh, it is effectively a death sentence for her husband. She doesn't even know if she's going to see the guy again. Uh, it could be extradited literally on the same day that they decide to extradite him. They probably won't drag their heels in this one. They'll probably whisk him away ASAP. So there's a lot riding on it. And this is for both of you. I've been thinking about you know who I'm talking to today and you know different angles to come at it from. And this is why I believe. Uh, what he does is so important, okay? Uh, my dad, who for many a year, you know, he's in his 70s now, was, you know, slumbering and asleep. And slowly, slowly over the last three years, he's come to realize all is not what they seem. And I can remember two years ago, I played him the clip of collateral murder, which was obviously published in WikiLeaks of uh, Americans uh, shooting uh, civilians in the Middle East. And that was an absolute eye-opener for him. He started to ask a lot of questions after that. And I know it's only one example. It can't be used as, you know, it's only anecdotal evidence. But if that little, just one clip from WikiLeaks was enough to shake my dad up from, from a slump when six months of me banging on in his ear had no effect whatsoever, how many more people are waking up to the fact that who the real bad guys are, Christian and Darren? Uh, maybe that's why there's such a concerted effort to silence this guy. Uh, Didi, what do you think about that? Uh, the U.S. authorities, the U.S. military in particular, has egg on its face. So I think that might be actually a motivating factor of why they are pursuing this. You know, uh, Julian Assange uh, released information that embarrassed the, the American government and, and showed that their behavior in the Middle East uh, was abhorrent and criminal. Uh, and and uh, with regards to what's happened yesterday uh, in the courtroom, Julian Assange didn't attend. Uh, he, in fact, he is so ill, apparently, that he was unable to even attend by a video link. Uh, and it was also coming out that journalists and some of the representatives that Julian Assange had there were not allowed in the courtroom. They were effectively barred. They had no direct communication link, so they couldn't hear what was going on. And the internet was cut. And this just sort of reminded me uh, of the Princess Diana hearings. It seems like it's a whitewash. It's a bit of a cover-up. And if those um, uh, elements weren't allowed into the courtroom, you might suppose that it's already uh, written down in terms of the verdict and that Julian Assange, hopefully not, will be extradited to the USA. Yeah, just to, just to give you the final word in this one here, Christian, Assange was notable by his absence yesterday and I know it was his chance to have his time in the court to, to speak his piece. And of course, he's an incredibly eloquent man. He's incredibly well-spoken. He's incredibly well-versed in everything. And I'm sure he would have uh, said some very powerful words that it would work in his favor. But maybe uh, what, what his absence there 
And the fact that he didn't speak or he didn't appear by a video link, maybe that adds even more gravity uh, towards his favour than if he were able to have attended in person. Uh, sometimes what you say, don't say, is even more important than what you do say. You're absolutely right there. I mean, it, it's very clear that if a man can't attend court on this most crucial time and the, and the, the eyes of the world are watching, um, it said that his health is in decline mentally and physically. He's... His life is uh, is every as a risk every single day that he's in prison, and if he's extract uh, if he's extradited, he will die. As Mr. Sanjay was saying yesterday, the situation is extremely grave. Um, it's true. I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, he may be literally whisked away by a plane to the U.S. Um, I mean, there was a few moments uh, a few years ago, sorry, where um, there was members of HMP prison uh, supporting Julian Assange, but they went on a hunger strike uh, to support him. I mean. Prisoners supporting a person who should not be in prison is a uh, a brave statement. And if we listen to all these matters that are saying for the people around him, his wife, his family, his friends, and the statement that he can't be there in person because he's so ill to this situation, having now been in prison for five years. I mean, if this doesn't set a precedent, if this doesn't show what this man and his valet is all about, I don't think nothing else will. I did see the, uh, yesterday that uh, Jerry Corbyn actually was uh, outside there, obviously showing his support and solidarity with the Julian Assange case. And did you see that? Yes, and Piers, uh, I think Piers Corbyn also was on yesterday with uh, David Curtin uh, on TNT as well from outside the courts as well. So yes, a lot of people standing in solidarity with him. And let's remember two guys, for people that aren't familiar with this case, he's been in five years now, literally rotting in maximum security solitary confinement in Belmarsh. He has never been convicted of any crime. He's never went to trial, but yet he's been held for five years under those conditions. That's a sobering thought for any of us that are out there who are doing, doing our best to try and get the truth out there. It could be us. And I think if this does not go Assange's way, it could set a precedent and they could start to hound other people and it will ultimately filter down too. I don't want to be demeaning it to us, but of course he's on a much higher level than you, myself and Darren, and you are at the minute, Christian. However, that's not to say that we can't be as effective and as uh, you know potent in getting the truth out there too. We are also viewed as threats. So we've got to take a pause now uh, to take headlines. So massive thanks to you, Mr. Christian James, for joining us. And you can follow Christian yeah, uh, on Twitter or X at 21 Christian, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, James. And of course, his work on 21st Century Wire. So you have a good day, my friend. And uh, hopefully we'll talk sooner rather than later. We're going to take headlines and then we'll have Jason Holbert joining us uh, from the land down under or the land up above, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, so please stay tuned for that. Uh, more here on TNT, today's news talk. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. America's famed Dr. Phil has called out gender-affirming care, warning of the long-term impacts of pushing transgenderism on children. Former US President Donald Trump says America is turning into a communist country, and a study of almost 100 million people who received the COVID-19 vaccine has found the jab led to greater increases in heart, brain and blood disorders than originally thought. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio.
And welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, Didi Denso and Rick Munn uh, on a Wednesday edition, a Julian Assange edition of Locked and Loaded. Uh, before me, I have a man who I haven't seen for all, well, about 12 months, Jason, since we last uh, had a chat together here on TNT Radio. Uh, how are you, my friend? And really, really good to see you. Yeah, isn't it wonderful, Darren, that we, um, it's been 12 months. It's fantastic to see you again, be on the show. There's a lot to obviously catch up on and what we're watching around the world at the moment. Uh, I, I think in this Julian Assange case, for the first time, we're seeing both sides of the political divide agreeing that enough is enough. Goodness me, seven years in the embassy, five years in Belmarsh without charge. You're looking at a man 12 years a slave. They win Oscars, don't they, when you come up with a film like that? And here we are watching on with this man, this journalist, for goodness sake, uh, and many people still think he's a whistleblower. It's a lot more than that. And we're watching now, and enough is enough around the world and I think we might see uh, what's going on here if I mean we're all hoping for the best expecting the worst and the only thing that's going to happen out of this is if if Julian is not released or given um, given uh, a chance to at least appeal then we're going to think that the judicial system at this stage is completely completely destroyed you can't trust it at all uh-huh uh what's the what's the feeling uh i, I want to sort of go with the, the australian angle he's an australian citizen um what's the feeling uh or the impression that you're getting from the public is there a lot of public interest in, in australia about this case about this case right now in this hearing and the result of this hearing and, and there's a lot of talk uh, i had a quick google this morning i couldn't find a, an up-to-date article in the last 24 hours but uh albanese the albanese government has suggested there are rumors coming out of what Australia, uh, that they are going to request Julian Assange is sent back to Australia. Uh, can you pass any comment on that, please? Look, this is what we're hoping to see. You've got uh, Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, you know, just very carefully inching uh, across the wall. It's like he's playing on a knife's edge. He's previously said that he doesn't want to get involved. But uh, now that there's been a vote, 86-41, I think it was, uh, in favour of getting Julian home, that they're, they're kind of stuck now, aren't they? They're, they're, they're sitting here trying to be the, uh, the 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 lackey boy for the US government, if you will. Uh, and, and, and all of us here in Australia are simply asking, goodness me, grow a pair, stand up for Australians. You done nothing for this man for so long, hiding behind the excuses, uh, which has been soundly uh, argued in the film The Trust For, for those that haven't seen it. Uh, Kim Statton, the director, makes a very, very good argument for the idea that he didn't uh, put anyone's names in jeopardy, uh, which is the case. This is this whole case that, uh, they, that they're standing behind, and we're seeing the great the gatekeeping that, that that's happening uh, with um, uh, in this particular case by the US government. So the feeling in Australia, I'm noticing now that more and more people are starting to pay attention and realising that one of their own, and it doesn't matter what side of politics that they're on, left mm -hmm. or right. I saw someone share a video the other day, just a, a Facebook reel, I made a comment. Uh, it was actually a celebrity who uh, put it up there, a wonderful singer, and I, and I wrote a comment on it, not expecting a reply, and I got a reply uh, which said, I agree with everything you said. And I basically said that uh, this man must be freed uh, for uh, for doing what his job is and he's exposed crimes against humanity and that cannot be punished any longer. And I just think that people are, are always uh, not wanting to put their foot out there and arguing along the lines of, um, you know, we've got a little authority, you know, tell us what to do, like we did through the whole COVID period. But now they're starting to realise, and this is part of what we've called for many years now, the Great Awakening. And I just hope and I pray that Julian Assange has just a little bit more breath in him so that when we get a decision either way, he can uh, be able to deal with that. Hopefully that will lead to him being released sometime this year. Uh, that is the the only thing that counts at this stage. Uh, I, I, you know, again, as I said, hoping for 
for the best, expecting the worst, but realising that he didn't go this far, knowing what he would be up against to lose at this point. We must all stand firm, uh, whichever way it stands, and support this Australian superhero. Because at the end of the day, Julian Assange, for mine, is the tip of the spear. He's the top of the pyramid. If he is released and this information is accepted, he becomes the star witness in the crime of the millennium, the biggest thing of all time. Uh, and all of us will be, um, well, simply put, the truth shall set us free. And Julian Assange has done more than his fair share. And I do hope for mine, the big thing in all of this is that he is released and then uh, things can go ahead. And there's a big future, of course, for Julian Assange one way or another, because Australia needs him. The world needs this man uh, to be freed. It's that important and that urgent. Um, and this is a question actually to both of you, Rick, uh, Jason, we both work in the alternative media space. Um, what, uh, what will happen to journalism going forward? Let's just say that today, tomorrow, Julian Assange is sent packing on a plane across to the USA. Where does that leave us at TNT, other alternative media outlets who do try to push the truth, who do cover topics that uh, other mainstream outlets won't. And what happens to mainstream journalism? Are we going to see a further shutting down of free speech? Uh, I'll just say uh, one thing here. Uh, great uh, input there, Jason, by the way, from the Australian perspective. Uh, you mentioned figures there about uh, the people that voted, you know, in favour of bringing Assange back to Australia. It was 86-41 or something like that. That's a little bit sad too, because it means one in three of the people that voted don't want an Australian citizen to be brought back onto Australian soil, possibly to face trial for whatever charges but remember he hasn't been convicted of anything and at the very very least there's no reasonable justification to keep him under the conditions that he's in at the minute he doesn't pose any threat to people he's not going to go out on a on a rampage or go around shanking people and you know outside flinders station that's not going to happen but yet he still languishes in belmarsh and as far as the clampdown on alt media or you know uh, viable alternatives to the mainstream media there is a massive push globally at the minute uh, to shut places like us down and they're going to do it through these uh, acts you know we're pushing hate speech we're pushing misinformation we're pushing disinformation according to them who set themselves up as the arbiters of truth so uh, i think it's definitely a david and goliath fight uh darren and jason but you know what david did win the fight against goliath so uh, i also do hold out uh, hope for that one too that's just my humble opinion you know, um, it's frightening, isn't it, when you think that uh, as doing the work of the media uh, and being able to report the facts and just get them out there uh, and to think that uh, reporting the facts is uh, an enemy of the state. Goodness me, how far do we have to go in this regard to work out what what, what is truly happening? We, we know that this is the biggest election year we've seen probably in our lifetimes. We've got um, Russia going off in March. We've got India, April, May. We've got Canada in October. We've got America, United States in November. And the UK has got to go off somewhere, what, before January of next year. I mean, that means that including Australia, which goes off early next year, and New Zealand that went off late last year, that's all five eyes nations going off in a period of around about 18 months. And it looks like in all five jurisdictions, there could well be a change of government. And what does that say? Uh, that uh, people in the West are fed up to the eyeballs of their lying governments, uh, uh, sending them uh, misinformation themselves, guarding and protecting and covering their own tracks. So when you look at it from that perspective, you realise that, uh, that, uh, that we are on the cusp of uh, something immense. It seems that all of all of us are waiting for the clock to either run out and get us to an election or, um, or, or, or something gives in the meantime. 
time. But uh, this establishment, this uh, globalist manipulation. On my show um, uh, last week, I had uh, um, Rick Brown on from uh, CPI Strategic, an incredible interview. He'd done the research on the establishment over 200 odd years and explained and plotted exactly how it came about. And even though he's not a fan of um, uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, he did call him a remarkable man for the idea, an extraordinary man for the, for the, the ability to what he did for one shareholder to create the World Economic Forum and effectively get all of the world's politicians in line, complying with what's going on. And I just want to add that yesterday, um, uh, Rebecca Barnett, one of Australia's uh, terrific independent journalists based in uh, West Australia, put out an article on her Substack explaining this um, this uh, turnstile of responsibility. You've got the WHO coming out saying, we didn't force pandemic uh, rules or lockdowns or mandates or anything like that. And as Rebecca explained, they put their hand up and say they didn't do anything. The governments all put their hand up and say, well, we were just acting on advice. So here we are. We've got the WHO and world governments everywhere, none of which wants to get to the bottom of the origins of COVID, but coming out straight away and telling us that uh, we're not responsible. It's always someone else, always passing the buck. They know that they're on the ropes and this is the point of what's going on. So Julian is uh, really, uh, I mean, it is the keystone, as I've said, right in the middle. And the establishment will no doubt be very happy if the judge rules in favour of them uh, sending Julian to the United States. They would be hoping that that was the case. And what a horrific way to live your life, to think that that's what you want. You want to shut down somebody who works as a journalist, bringing, as I'll read a quote from his um, his QC, Edward Fitzgerald, his KC, he said in a written argument to the court, this legally unprecedented prosecution seeks to criminalise the application of ordinary journalistic practices of obtaining and publishing true classified information of the most obvious and important public interest. And I think there it is. Can you believe it? That the only thing you have to do if you're a corrupt government is put the word classified onto a document and no one is allowed to see it. That is like legal way to cover up your crimes. And whichever way you look at it, that is unacceptable, unacceptable and unacceptable. Uh, one one other thing, just if I can throw this into the mix too, of course, there was a, an alliance that was touted, you know, several years ago between uh, Australia, the US and the UK. Uh, famously, Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden said that he was happy to be partnering with Boris Johnson, who was the then British PM and that bloke from Australia. He didn't even know who Scott Morrison was at the time. Uh, Joe Biden obviously is in the key, increased uh, senile dementia. But of course, there is a big influence that is let's be under no illusion there's a huge influence that australia can exert on the us and the uk as well to release one of their own uh back to australia as well so uh it's a bit of johnny come lately here with uh albanese he was very silent on this issue for a very very long time now of course he's become very vocal on it uh he probably needs a little bit of a boost in the opinion polls as well it doesn't it just show you the flip-flopping and the the the, the shallowness of politics in general, uh, people will just turn on a dime, Jason. Uh, the, the Aussies, no less than the Americans and the Brits, by the way, uh, if it means there could be a potential vote or two here and, or a point or two increase in an opinion poll. You, you know, um, we've had seven changes of prime minister over the past 16, sorry, 17 years is now we're in 2024. I mean, it's not much better in the UK when you when you have a prime minister for three weeks, but uh, we, we, we have a series of one-termers now. Uh, what we're seeing is that the public is being led down the two-party system. They flip-flop between leadership. They flip-flop between either party and are slowly realising that, uh, that neither is serving them at all. We all had a big stand-up in 2022 with uh, the rise of a number of different third parties, 
surprisingly, it was just the Teals that got into power at that stage, sort of a conservative green movement that uh, was well-funded and, uh, and and approached it very well. And that's what people were screaming out for. You fast forward two years and all of a sudden people don't want the green agenda. They want to be able to put food on the table. They want to be able to know that they can meet their mortgage and rent repayments that are coming up and uh, be able to uh, replace the car and do those types of things that most families want to do. And just realise that uh, we all have a purpose here on earth. We get 80 years, give or take, when we're born. That's kind of what we're sold uh, as, as what we're going to do. We spend the first 25 years learning and getting skills. We spend the next 25 years, one way or another, accumulating, doing what we're doing. And then you get to an age of sort of 50, 55, 60, looking at retirement and wondering what's in in that lifetime. And now you get told that you're all the way into your life and a person like myself and others, you know, in their 50s, raising families, trying to pay off homes. And then you get told, no, no, not doing that anymore. We're going to uh, put up your insurance. We're going to charge you $5,000 or $10,000 a year now to, to put house insurance up. So even if you want to keep your home, that's in jeopardy as well. So no matter what we're told, here by these uh, these powers that be. We just keep getting sold a situation where we are being taken out one way or another, whether we want to or realise it's all too hard. And there's just something wrong with authority when the only thing that they can do is put fear into us 24-7 and tell us that next year is going to be worse than last year. I had conversation with friends recently. We tried to work out when was the last time in Australia that we did something truly great for the nation. We went all the way back to the Sydney Olympics. Goodness me, Sydney 2000 was the last time that Australia could be proudly standing up uh, and saying that we've accomplished something great that the whole nation got behind. As far as I'm concerned, that is political failure on both sides. We, uh, we, we just live in a world of bean counters answering to globalists and whichever way it works, we need new leadership and we're not going to get it in the two-party preferred system that we have at the moment. Yeah, and I think that, uh, that, that's sort of the sentiment uh, right across the planet. Uh, and it was a bloody good Olympics uh, in Sydney in, in 2000. Uh, another great event that sort of died to death uh, over the years. Uh, Jason, uh, very, very quickly, close question. Will Assange be extradited to the USA? Yes or no? As I said, hoping for the best, expecting the worst. All I'm going to say is no. Put it down there. Send the good juju out there and let's get get this wonderful Australian hero home where he needs to be. And let's get on with the business once and for all of exposing the crimes, getting justice and getting on with the rest of our lives. Julian Assange is the tip of that spear. So please, God, God willing that this is resolved and resolved quickly and we get this man home safely to his family once and for all. Well, Thanks for your time, Jason. Really appreciate it and great to see you again. Uh, and please, uh, everyone who's listening, stay with us. Me and Rick will be back just after this break here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Yesterday, I let you see one of Joe Biden's worst moments when he falsely accused the special counsel of bringing up his son's death during their interviews in October. Well, the RNC has put together a montage of more of Joe Biden's worst moments. Watch. I, uh, um, anyway, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna, well, maybe choose my words. I was just thinking, uh, uh, anyway. I, I just, look, I mean, Want more? Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. It was in February, February, uh, January. 
after being elected the late January, early February. He said, uh, it's not, we need uh, not just, uh, well, I won't go into it. And there's plenty more where that came from, folks. Again, I asked the question, how could this man be president of the United States? 25th Amendment now. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Asthma is a growing problem, especially among children. Asthma affects the quality of life for millions like me every single day. My name is Chris Draft, and I have asthma. And I've spent more than a decade in the NFL tackling asthma on and off the field. Join me and the EPA in helping people control their asthma. Asthma is a lung condition that can be controlled through medication and by avoiding things that can make it worse. Three steps are the solution to controlling asthma. Step one, talk to a doctor. Step two, make a plan. And step three, get rid of things that can make it worse. Asthma can be tackled. For more information on asthma, log on to epa.gov asthma. Journalism is not a crime. We're covering Julian Assange's two-day public hearing at the UK High Court and live from London. This is today's News Talk TNT. Okay, uh, we're locked. Well, yeah, we are locked in order, but we're also open line here this morning. Uh, if anyone's listening and you're feeling particularly brave or particularly drunk, you know, you can lift up the phone and give us a call. No harm in that. Uh, please, though, don't, uh, if you're particularly inebriated, it's very difficult for me to deal with drunk people at the best of times, especially not when I'm live on earth <laughs> but uh, the lines are open and uh, just a little update also some lovely comments by the way in the live chat uh fox said that he's really enjoying these uh, morning sessions with dd and rick again yes uh, i'm always super happy and super stoked to have darren on he's been uh, with me on the old tnt journey right from the beginning uh, he was a guest in the first week that i was live on there and he's been uh, pretty much coming back ever since and of course he does his own uh, business on tnt also especially at the weekends with uh, digging deeper uh, which is a great weekend show on a sunday uh, uk time you can check him out there but uh, also natalie questions people missing Natalie wondering where she is listen she, she's okay uh, she will be back uh, she reliably informs me on Monday coming uh, she's had a nightmare week just dealing with some uh, family business uh, over the last uh, weekend and also uh, what else is yeah her granny her granny died there about a month ago and she's got a funeral on Friday as well so she just needs to step back this week and uh, gather herself together but she has reliably informed me she will be back on her again on Monday and uh, I'll pass on the fact that I'm sure she's not reading the comments this morning but I'll pass on the fact that a lot of you guys are wishing her well so thank you very much for your support for me and Didi obviously but also for your concern for the wonderful Natalie Cheel. Also, uh, Darren, uh, we've got a story here for Birmingham. Dark day for Birmingham. Hell, there's more than just a dark day for Birmingham. I think they're going through the dark ages at the minute. However, uh, this one in particular uh, talks about uh, tax rises, asset sales. We know Birmingham City Council is in deep trouble. They're squandering money hand over fist. Covered a story recently there about a taxi firm was awarded 10 million quid uh, in the contracts and they were based above a shop somewhere. It was the Mickey Mouse operation, but, you know, still raking in what 
eight, seven, six, seven, eight figures, eight figure profits uh, running taxis around Birmingham. Uh, but this one in particular, uh, they must sell off 1.25 billion in assets to repay a government bailout loan. Eh? I thought we were getting it tight as individuals, but also Birmingham City Council are getting it tight too. Yeah, uh, and it's one of many councils that are suffering severe financial problems, shortfalls in their budget. Birmingham City Council has a 300 million shortfall in your budget. And it's like, you're supposed to be a public sector service. You're supposed to be providing services to the public with the taxes that we spend you. So what's going to happen to the council tax? They're going to increase tax. One of their dramatic measures is increasing council tax by 21% because that is their only revenue stream. It's their only real avenue of trying to recoup their losses and the question you anyone on everyone's lips especially if you're living in birmingham is how the hell did our local council get free have a shortfall in their budget of 300 million pounds i mean that's on its way to a billion pounds uh, uh, that's an immense amount of of, of debt or, or shortfall in their budget. How did that happen? What's happened to all the taxpayers' money that's led to that situation? That's the question that needs to be asked. And finally, um, I suspect we're going to see more councils going the same way where they are effectively bankrupt. Birmingham, the second biggest city and second might be the biggest unitary authority in the UK. If that council has gone that way, then you could be damn sure that many, many, many other councils are looking into that dark abyss of debt. Uh, this, there's so many figures here to crunch through. Darren, they declared themselves bankrupt last September. Uh, they, they, you mentioned they're the 21% council tax rates. That's huge. I don't know huge. what council tax rates are like in uh in England, but in Northern Ireland here, it depends on where you live. The postcode depends on the size of your property. And but nobody really gets away with anything less. The, the range basically between five hundred quid a year or forty quid a month and about two and a half grand a year, which is about two hundred quid a month. And if you think about it, if you're at the top end of the scale, you've obviously got a few quid, you know, because you're living in a bigger house in a nicer area. But still, the twenty percent rise on two and a half grand that goes from two and a half grand to what three grand ish uh, of a rise. You know, that's an extra. Your 500 pound a year you got to find and if you're at the lower end of the scale and you live in you know a smaller property or a flat somewhere and you you know you're not paying as much that's still going from four five hundred pounds a year up to 600 pounds a year that's an extra you know 20 quid a, a month or whatever you've got to find or 15 quid a month you got to find from an already stretched budget so where, where are people expected to get this money from if the council can't manage their own finances why should they ask people to rejig their budgets to make up for their mistakes and, and, and I mean, for me, it would be a 20 or 30 pound a month increase on, on the council tax. And what do I get for my council tax at the moment? My bins get emptied. They still haven't fixed yes. the potholes in my row. And yes. I, know, I know I bang on about that every time we talk about this topic. But, you know, I'm just using that as an example. If you were in Birmingham and you're paying £2,000 a year for council tax, and that would probably, that's at the lower end of, of, of the UK council tax band, uh, and you are now all of a sudden expected to pay an extra, whatever it might be, £40, £50 uh, a month, you go, right, I want some extra services for that. It's inflation. We're in an economic crisis. I can't just afford to pay an extra 40, 50 pound a month. Am I going to get my bins emptied twice a week? Or are you going to fix the potholes in my road? And the answer is no. That increases to service a debt, a budget shortfall, 
which is down to the mismanagement and over-bureaucracy of local authorities. Uh, uh, I would be unwilling to pay that. And to be honest, I'm in a situation now, not financially, but morally and ethically, where really I don't want to pay council tax full stop because I'm not getting anything for my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is too, down this, uh, uh, you know, uh, budgetary deficit here, 300 million pound budget shortfall, that's effectively the tip of the iceberg. If you dig into this a little bit more, it says it's also facing an equal pay claim of, check this out, 760 million quid. That's three quarters of a billion pounds, which is more than twice their budgetary uh, shortfall here and an 80 million pound overspend on an under fire IT system. So when you factor it all together, you got the 300 million pound shortfall, a 760 million pound uh, equal pay claim and an 80 million pound overspend. You tot that all up there, that's over a billion quid. And that's just Birmingham alone. There's other Mm -hmm. councils like Leicester going to the wall as well. Yeah, I mean, if I got a phone call from someone said, I want an IT system, how much is it going to cost? Uh, 100 million. They go, all right, that sounds a lot for an IT system. Birmingham's quite big. So I go in, I put the IT system in, uh, and then they come back and say, it's not working. I go, oh, it's going to cost you an extra 80 million. This is awful procurement practices. This is awful mismanagement. And having worked in public sector for a few years, it didn't go very well because I wanted to negotiate and you're not allowed to do that. Um, uh, you, you, all you all, all that happens in public sector is your council tax, the taxpayers' money that funds the authority, the staff, and the services that they provide. Seventy-five percent was my estimate. You may as well just burn. And it seems like with this IT system, as an example of that, it's just money burning and really, really bad management. We need an overhaul of the staffing of the systems, the procedures, and processes that are employed in public sector. And we need an oversight and a completely, we need a revolution, Rick, to get rid of the politicians and the elected officials that are in behind the establishment making decisions, because clearly they're doing it all wrong. Yeah, we need to get rid of the politicians, but also, Darren, we need to get rid of those potholes too, because I'm like you, uh, every Sunday night, uh, I walk down the drive dragging my bins behind me and thinking, this is what I'm paying my council tax for, or over here, yeah, we call it a rates, uh, we call it rates over here, uh, but this is what I'm paying for. And then I drive uh, down the road on Sunday, went for a drive down to a nice little village. And on the way, the potholes were so bad on this particularly beautiful stretch of road, they actually put traffic cones in the potholes with the top of them just sticking out toward cars. They were so damn deep down. Actually, had to put traffic was in the potholes so drivers could actually see them. And there was one unfortunate person had missed a pothole with no traffic going in it. And wait, I wait, kid wait, you wait. not, the, no, the car was uh, hazard lights on. There was an AA recovery vehicle up there. The front right-hand driver's side wheel had completely uh, buckled uh, and twisted itself 390 degrees. The axle was racked on that car and there was an old deer sitting, God bless her, in the car looking completely shocked and completely flummoxed as she bashed up the car going over these bottles. And she's paying uh, big money in that area for her uh, rates as well and in return for what certainly the bin emptying services there on and off but the potholes literally are wrecking people's cars as well this is also uh, to do with the council and mismanagement but uh, i don't know uh, if you if you're listening in by the way just out of curiosity 
leave us a message in the live chat just for curiosity and market research what are your rates levels like in the area that you're at and what are you getting uh, in return for your hard-earned money being paid to your local councils darn the music's playing i can hear drums i think i can hear a little bit of distorted guitar as well uh, a little bit of up-tempo music unfortunately that would usually get me excited but it means we're at the end of the show massive thanks to you for stepping in uh, yesterday of course today uh, for open line and hopefully we'll get talking again sooner rather than later that's the wonderful dd denslow so go and have a, a great day darren get out get some fresh air get hiking get up on the moors lad up the bodman moor and see if you can oh, see the beast <laughs> i get up there anyway you can't oh, be a fair weather walker not if you're a tnt man like we are uh but have a good one mate and i'll be back at the other side of the uh news headlines with uh, locked and loaded david mcbride and andre molotkin will be joining me and jenna cooper too don't go away this is tnt